With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, welcome to another edition of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. Uh, it's been a quiet week for Manchester United, no midweek game this week. It's a quiet one on the podcast too. I'm Tyro Marshall, stepping in to host this week. Got Samuel Lockhurst with me. Stephen Railston is at Chester Races, where I think he's got a couple of rides this afternoon. Uh, Rich Fay is off all week, coincidentally, in the week that Wrexham are uh, a tour in the Las Vegas pool party. So, read into that what you will. Um, so, it's just me and Samuel. Samuel, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. It, it would be nicer to be in Las Vegas, but I suppose we've got that uh, to come in with the pre-season tour in July. We have, yes. We are very much looking forward to uh, to capping off that tour in, in Vegas. What goes in Vegas stays in Vegas, apart from the content that will come on the Manchester Evening News website, obviously. Otherwise, there'd be no point in us going. Um, yeah, like I say, uh, a quiet week for, for United. No midweek game. First time since, not in counting international breaks, first time since pretty much the World Cup, I think. And, and back in December, it's been an, an incredibly relentless season for them. Been a, been a fairly quiet week, but... Uh, in a way, Samuel, I think it's it's probably been a good week for them to, to rest and recuperate. A couple of days off at the start of the week, despite that West Ham defeat. And they've looked a little tired recently. So it's 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 arguable that this free week has, has come at a good time for them. It, it is. And there was certainly a, an upside of going out of the Europa League. If, if they were still in that, they'd have been, I think they'd have probably been, a, would it have been away at Juventus last night? So it would have been more travelling this week after... Travelling to Brighton and travelling to to London last week, and those those fixtures took their toll on United. They they didn't win either of them. They didn't score in either of them, and there are. I don't think anybody's been looking for excuses for the the, the form recently either. Uh, nobody really expected United to win at Brighton, even though Brighton then got thumped rather remarkably by by Everton a few a few days later. But certainly, to have taken nil point from those two games last week was was a big underachievement and it has put the pressure on them coming into this this Wolves game and as I said the, there are no excuses going into this and I, I'm just hopeful from a from a journalistic perspective going to the game that we're not in this cycle of writing about something that we've already seen this season or, or saw last week it was two identical results last week and uh, the, the script felt quite familiar as well with United very profligate in front of goal and then being punished and in the case of the West Ham game there were there were certain similarities with the, the, the mental capitulation at Brentford and that they didn't really seem to know or have the confidence to to get back into the game even though that goal from Ben Rama came before the half hour mark and with Wolves they're mathematically safe now, as as is the case and has been the case with so many teams in the past. If if you're in that situation where you've essentially nothing to pr- play for other than prize money for the club, your your mind is on where you're going on holiday. And if you've not booked holiday yet, you're probably expending more energy on getting somewhere ideal booked up for 
for three weeks time when the season ends so you can uh, really really save uh, your, your vacation and ensure that it's the right place to go to so United couldn't really ask for better opposition in that sense it's a home game as well and I know Wolves are probably where they are it's a false position but unfortunately when you look at United's form against Wolves since they got promoted back to the Premier League in in 2018 I think there have been 12 games between the sides the eight wins have all been decided by one goal United three of their wins have come in the with goals scored in the last 15 minutes of those games uh, it, it was a fixture that you couldn't get go a month uh, without being being a part of or, or, or attending and fortunately it's it's been a bit more scattered in, in in recent years but wolves always make they're always quite obdurate opponents for united so i i although i'm i'm sure there are a lot of united fans who will be walking down to matt busby way tomorrow uh, quite quite optimistic of of, of winning the game i don't think there'll be many expecting United to win by a by a big margin. Yeah, I mean, we'll come on to a, a bigger Wolves preview in the final part, but it doesn't feel like it's going to be a, a free-flowing, free-scoring game. And, and like you say, the, the same things that are happening to United kind of week in, week out at the moment, aren't they? And there's, there's forwards out of form, the midfield's not ticking, the goals aren't being scored. Defence has looked not too bad, to be fair, with, with Sean and Lindelof, but the same sort of thing is happening week, week to week. And if this free week needs to prove anything, it's that they can they can respond and and rediscover their form and, and kind of settle themselves ahead of that running, don't they? Well, that's that has to be the objective now. They Ten Hag has laid it out for them: three wins out of the last last four league games, and they've qualified for the Champions League. Three of those four games are at home. The away game, although their away record is poor, it's a team that are pretty much all but certain of being in the Premier League next season in Bournemouth. And I'm sure Bournemouth will want to go out on high with it being their last home game. But United can't you know, just look at their away record and say, well, if we don't win, that's why we've not won. Their, their away record against the Fodder had actually, and, and still is by and large, pretty good. It was just the one blemish against bottom seven teams against came came last week against West Ham and as as i said united aren't really seeking excuses and there's there's certainly some unhappiness over the premier league saddling them with a, a few thursday sunday schedules as well i think including the chelsea game which i was pretty amazed that was given a thursday night slot given that united could have played on the Tuesday. Um, I mean, Manchester City playing at Brighton on the Wednesday, and of course the rights holders don't want a clash of games, but it did feel a bit odd that United, who play on the Saturday against Bournemouth, have then had a game pushed back by, I mean, there's going to be a five-day gap between those games. So they've gone from having this relentless schedule to possibly uh, you know, willing the days away, uh, given the, the these gaps that are starting to appear between games, which has its benefit. But also Ten Hag has spoken about the benefit of actually playing quite regularly and keeping players on edge. But it does come a point where it takes its toll. That said, I think this game, sorry, this season is certain to be the sixth longest in terms of games played for United in their history and, and looking at the, the top five seasons in those seasons combined, they won 11 trophies. If you want to be a successful team, you're going to have to be playing mid fifties, probably early sixties uh, games in a season. And the manager and the coaching staff have got to be able to manage the load on the players. They've also got to be able to trust the players. And that's clearly been an issue with Ten Hag this season. There've been times where he could have rotated and, 
he hasn't and I, I keep on going back to the example of Ericsson getting injured against Reading which was completely the fault of Andy Carroll but Ericsson should not have been playing in the second half of an FA Cup tie at home against Championship relegation fodder when Rafael Varane got injured against Sevilla four weeks ago he should have come off immediately uh, he shouldn't have been kept on for another it felt like another 10 minutes or best part of 10 minutes maybe 15 minutes and then he came off at half time so there were still things that they can improve and also with with the personnel clearly there are there are issues there even players who've actually come on and not not play an awful lot but had good impacts when they have um, had their cameos like Facundo Palestri clearly Ten Hag doesn't fancy him enough because he would have played him more often his his only start was away at Real Betis and that tie was pretty much boxed off at that point with the the 4-1 advantage from the first leg and it's it is affecting I think Ten Hag's in-game management all of a sudden now because there are players Christian Eriksen is such an important player for United and I'd say he's one of maybe seven players that Ten Hag can completely count on but it seems like there is this theme with him that he plays an hour and then that's it he has to come off because he doesn't have the endurance and that's understandable given what happened in in Copenhagen two years ago and I think he's 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 had a pretty good season for United and when you factor in that he was a, a, a free signing as well he's had a very good season uh, all things considered but they do need someone more dynamic there as we've spoken about uh, in in the past and they don't currently have that player and it has got to the point now where where United have looked not looked they have been very leggy um, in, in the past couple of weeks and especially in the second half of games they are missing someone like McTominay even who although he's probably the poorest technically of the midfielders that, that Ten Hag has available he is clearly one of the fittest players in the squad and I know there's irony in saying that because he's he's injured at the moment he's, and I think he's been injured for, for about four weeks and United initially didn't expect him to be out for particularly long at all but you do need that physical robustness at this time of the season and there are certain players who come to the fore when the schedule is taxing as was the case six years ago with the Europa League there were certain players that Mourinho was able to turn to and count on because they were fit for the majority of the season Fellaini I suppose is a good example uh, if, if you want to haven't brought up McTominay's name not the most technically gifted United player but he had a very good impact during the run-in he was available he scored in the semi-final against Celta Vigo and he was such an ever-present that he started in the final and that, that wasn't a nailed on uh, selection there at all so if you're a squad player and although you might not have had the most fulfilling season, the chances are that if you are fit and involved enough for the run-in, you could have a fulfilling end to the season. And that's that's maybe the case with Lindelof at the moment, who's who's done very well by and large since uh, since he came back into the team. Yes, most definitely. It's uh, it's award season as well at the moment for for footballers. A couple of United players have have at least had a, a good week in in terms of trophies. Lissandro Martinez and Christian Eriksen at the Laureus Awards on. On Monday, uh, Martinez picking up a trophy with Team of the Year for Argentina winning the World Cup. Eriksen, comeback of the year. It's a reminder, in a way, of what, what a phenomenal story Christian Eriksen is to, to even be here and, and playing so well for United and in line to start a cup final. It's, it, it's, it's kind of almost forgotten now what, what he's actually been through and, and the story that is. So, so a good reminder of that. In, in terms of Martinez, Samuel, is his absence has gone under the radar, in a way. You've just mentioned how well Lindelof's done. Luke Shaw as a left-footed centre-back has 
has been excellent in a way in recent weeks. The fact Martinez and Varane are out has been the least of, of United's issues. But I do think there's an argument there. They're missing Martinez for the quality of his passing as, as much as his defending. And I think it's been noticeable, especially against West Ham, the, the build-up play was just so slow. It was dull to watch at times. They couldn't progress the ball. They couldn't sustain any pressure on the West Ham goal. And as strange as it is to say it, they're arguably, miss, arguably missing a centre-half with Martinez's passing quality to to get that play going through midfield quicker because it was just at West Ham it was just too predictable and too slow wasn't it and when they eventually got the ball forward West Ham were, were well set defensively as you said uh he we, and, and as I've, I've said time and again this season Martinez is almost as much of an asset in attack as he is in defense because his his distribution is so good he breaks the lines and it's it's not just that the the speed in which he actually passes the ball as well it automatically accelerates the attacks and it puts the onus on a midfielder or a forward to quicken the attack even more so if united are starting off from a, a pretty quick starting point that's only going to benefit the team in terms of um, going forward and pr- trying to get higher up the pitch luke shaw's reading uh, from center half is is excellent at the, at the moment he he is one of the he's one of the best center backs in the league, uh, he's. Uh, I think you and I have both been you know, quite up close with him in terms of speaking to him in a mix zone, and he's he's had issues in the past where he, certainly in his first few years at United, he 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 was too juvenile in the way he he carried himself, and uh, in in a more um, unpleasant sense, he's he's been frankly fat shamed on online by by trolls, but. When you're up close to him, he is—he's a very—he is very physical, but you can tell it's all muscle, and so he's not. Although he's—he's he's not particularly uh, an imposing defender, he is physically imposing, and he's—he's not—he's nowhere near a pushover at all. So Shaw has done very well, and I think certainly going forward, Ten Hag is always going to want a left-sided centre back to go with a right-sided centre back, and sorry, right-footed, I should say, and. Initially, it went with he went with Maguire and Lindelof because they were the two centre backs. Then Maguire had his suspension for for the cup semi final, and from that point forward, and I know Shaw was injured for a little period as well at the start there from from the Brentford game, but Shaw hasn't hasn't looked back really since he got in the team against Brighton playing playing at centre half. And looking ahead to this summer, they will probably be in the same position as they were last year in the. There was a specific requirement for a left-footed centre-back. If one of the reserve centre-backs is to go, and I'm not talking about Tunzebi or Phil Jones because it seems almost certain that both of them are going to be released, but obviously Maguire is the prime candidate, then it's it's advisable for United to go for a left-footer uh, given the balance of the squad and the needs of the team and also what the manager prefers. And I think you wrote earlier in the season about... United having a short list of, uh, of five five defenders, I think, who are left-footed um, to come under consideration. And obviously they went with Martinez because that's that's who the manager wanted. And I, I remember at the time uh, last summer that the, the, the scouts had really pushed for Paul Torres, who had been this player of interest under the previous regime. But obviously they... Uh, in the end, the club overruled the the scouts to go with the manager, and that's that's that has paid off this season. It'll be interesting to see how Martinez gets on in his second season. But 
so far he's been he's easily been Ten Hag's best signing in terms of the value and the quality he's brought to that team. But certainly they they do need a more um, a more direct contingency plan for next season because as good as Shaw is at centre back, he's also possibly been. It's, it doesn't feel like it's been a particularly vintage season for left-backs in the Premier League. And you can make a case he's been the best left-back in the Premier League as well. Andy Robertson's form has tailed off. Uh, City get by without a left-back all these years on. It's 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 remarkable how they can cope without this essential position being, being filled effectively. Uh, Arsenal, I know they play Zinchenko there, who's, who's done pretty well for them. But I still wouldn't say he's quite hit the same heights as, as Luke Shaw has this season and he's probably not plumbed the same uh, to similar lows of, of Shaw either. Shaw's been involved in a couple of uh, atrocious drownings but it's testament to his character that he's recovered from the setbacks at Brentford and against Liverpool and gone on pretty good runs of form. It's, with with the Brentford one he, he was out of the team for a while but after he got back into the team he was very good going into the World Cup and he had a pretty good World Cup as well with England so defensively United look despite you know the, although the, the the goal difference table um, doesn't doesn't reflect very well on them I'd say that's you've got to pin that far more on on the attackers than the defenders even though there have been some games this season where well, I mean United have conceded seven six and four in three separate games Absolutely. That is all for part one of the Manchester is Red podcast. We'll be back after the break to talk about Bart. Hi, Caramba. Manchester United might be signing a goalkeeper. Uh, Samuel, you did the story earlier this week that they are interested in Bart Verbruggen. I'll be honest, it's not a name I've come across, but it's not one I'm going to forget either. Now you've brought it to my attention. Um, 20-year-old goalkeeper, so one for the future, we would think. Uh, fill us in, basically, on, on what we know for anyone that, that might not read of the story or, or wants to hear you talk about it as well. Yeah, I, uh, I I'd literally never heard of him when his uh, when his name was mentioned to me. I I even had to, to check he was the Anderlecht goalkeeper that um, uh, source had, had had told me that United you know, were interested in the Anderlecht goalkeeper. And immediately you obviously look at who's been playing for Anderlecht this season, and it was unclear uh, who who that goalkeeper was because it, it, looking at their fixtures, it's felt like certainly up to a point it was quite even between one goalkeeper and another that was that was starting the games i think the other guy was um i i am i am definitely googling his name now but it was hendrik van krombrucha who is 30 so that would have been uh, yeah I, i'm sure everyone can remember him from kas upen and uh, S, uh sorry sent truiden as well it's someone like someone that louis van gaal has probably heard of but he's he's 30 and uh he's 30 in belgian uh bart verbruggen is 20 and dutch so even if i wasn't even if i didn't see clarity on the name of the goalkeeper i, I think i'd have been able to make an educated guess and, and got it right that it was bart verbruggen so uh i mean it's it's an interest. I think I think it's an interesting approach from United because it's the kind of goalkeeper that you could see them going for in a market where nobody is expecting them to go for for an established goalkeeper. And 
in the case of Verbruggen, he he's quite prodigious in that he, he made his debut um, under Vans and Company. And in Belgium, they have this weird playoff system, don't they, to win the title? And I think he played in a playoff against Club Club Brugge, as as Louis Van Gaal would call them. Everyone calls them Club Bruges, but that's that's their uh, that's the appropriate pronunciation, apparently. And he made his debut in that. Um, two years ago which in Belgium I'm sure would have been pretty eye-catching recently he's got some recognition at international level in that he, he got his first call up to the Netherlands squad uh, for the for the March internationals he was on the bench against Gibraltar so he's on an upward curve at the moment and as I said because of Ten Hag's predilection for Dutch players or, or players who've been educated or come through the Dutch system it, it it does make sense uh, that the, the more I just looked into the the, 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 the goalkeeper and um, what what he would mean in terms of United's recruitment strategy, it it kind of ticks a lot of boxes there, and they they certainly need someone uh, to be a credible competitor with De Gea next season because as as we said, you know, it's it still feels like a fait accompli that that De Gea is going to stay on at United beyond this season even though United from what I've been told that United are pretty much planning for to, to phase him out which is a strange situation given that technically he is out of contract in about what seven six or seven weeks or something like that so the logical solution would be just to release him uh, at that point but it doesn't look like they're going to do that and they've got they've got a 26 year old England international still on their books and they've got uh, Tom Heaton, who's 36 or 37, but unfortunately, since he came back to United, he's he's had a couple of injuries that have gone under the radar, and he, they've kept him out for quite a while. And he's been out for it feels like the best part of two months now, which is is not good timing because I think that there would be probably more there'd probably be louder calls for him to come in for De Gea if he was available rather than Jack Butland, even though Butland's a younger goalkeeper. Ultimately, with Butland. Are you really going to put in someone who's been third choice goalkeeper at Crystal Palace for a few years and, and is a low knee when you've got an FA Cup final in three weeks? Probably not. I think if Butland or Heaton are to have a role in the FA Cup final, it would be coming on with, with penalties looming, possibly. I think that is something that United have definitely got to give consideration to. Um, I mean, you were saying during the shootout or just before it, we were obviously looking at what United's shootout record was. And I think when Brighton were putting all those penalties past De Gea, you said that De Gea had conceded his last Se- I think it was 17. 17 in a row in shootouts, yeah, with the Villarreal. It's probably, it's probably 21, isn't it, if you include... Um, di- if you include Russia against Spain at the 2018 uh, World Cup, I think they at least scored four goals, Russia, um, maybe, maybe five, but he, he got a bit of flack, well, not a bit, he got quite a lot of flack for his uh, porousness in that shootout in Spain because there were certainly one or two he should have stopped and it's not a, it's, it's, it was no surprise whatsoever that the run of conversions ended with uh, Solly March hitting a conversion in, in rugby terms and, and skying the skying his penalty. So the, the goalkeeper situation, you know, it's it's so weird in that you've you have got technically three goalkeepers out of contract. I mean, do, should we mention Nick? Uh, not Nick Pope, uh, Nathan Bishop. Don't know why Nick Pope came to mind there. Um, <laughs> 
but but Nathan Bishop, who, as I've said, said before, you've you've played at Old Trafford um, as, as many times, if not more times, than <laughs> than he has in goal. And this is someone that United paid about one and a half million pounds for uh, to Southend over three years ago, and they they must have done that knowing that he had no chance whatsoever of playing. And he's had a new contract since then, and I, I just don't I don't understand that um, that that strategy. I, I don't. I don't see why a youth team goalkeeper can't be the extra goalie in training rather than having to shell out, you know, as I said, one and a half million pounds. And in terms of the wages he's he's added on top of that as well, the the, the total investment is probably two million pounds. And I'm I'm not saying that's I mean essentially that is a drop in the ocean for United, but still, you know, why why pay the money there? So uh, I look forward to if if United do have the um, goal to announce on their website uh, that Nation Bishop extends his contract because I can't imagine that's going to go down too well with uh, with the support base and they've also got to navigate the how, how they go about uh, announcing De Gea's uh, extension because unfortunately for him although he's not actually had that bad a season he has certainly had a bad month bad few weeks yeah definitely and the, I mean the goalkeeping situation is it's interesting, like you say, they're seven weeks away from from basically all the goalkeepers leaving that have been there this season. Um, they've got Bishop, who's 23. Uh, Henderson's coming back. Mate Kovar as well, who's 22, I think, and, and by all accounts has had a good season on loan at, at Sparta Prague. I'm not going to pretend I've been uh, been watching his games on Scout, but the um, the reports seem to have been have been reasonably good. Um, I, I mean, the, the interesting for Bruggen hints at a, a succession plan, at, at least for for De Gea, but we don't know what's going to happen with Tom Heaton and whether he'll stay on. But the idea of having Verbruggen, Kovar at 22, Bishop at 23, Henderson at 26, De Gea, Heaton. I mean, there's, you know, some some of these goalkeepers have, have got to go, haven't they, really? It just seems there's, there's too many there. Kovar and Bishop are clearly not under 21 goalkeepers now. They're, they're either third choice or, or one of them goes, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, even Kovar, who I suppose if if I was to mention his name uh, at a press conference to Ten Hag and, and Neil, our esteemed colleague, was sat behind me, you'd probably see him saying to a colleague, who? As if say, who, who the hell is that? Because why why would he have heard of Matej Kovar? And uh, I'm not saying everyone should have heard of him either, but I think he, he first started training. Uh, the first time he trained with the first team was about five years ago. So... He's been known to a lot of United fans for half a decade, which feels feels pretty crazy, really, because, again, I don't think anybody has ever looked at him as someone who has got a realistic chance of of ever playing for United. He, he might have been on the, the bench once or twice. Uh, I mean, I, I certainly can't recall those games, but he's obviously been the third goalkeeper on match day who's involved in the warm-up and that's the closest he's he's got to to participating in a game at Old Trafford. But credit to him in that he has gone, he's gone back to Czech Republic. He's uh, gone to possibly the biggest club in the Czech Republic as well. Uh, and he's he's playing a lot of games as 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 you said, I mean I've I've not seen a single second of what he's been up to out there in um for Sparta Prague. But I suppose the fact that he's had you know, some form of international recognition as well uh, is is only positive for him. And 
what was it was it Cheltenham I think he was due to join earlier in earlier last summer and then that collapsed or, or something or other there were a couple of loan deals for keepers I think Bishop was another one that that fell through due to for whatever reason um and it was only when I think it was only because there was an extension for the the transfer window with Czech Republic teams that Kovar was actually able to go out on loan because the intention was originally for him to go to a football league club and I think from memory it was Cheltenham but in the end it didn't happen and he's he's got exposure back in his homeland and I suppose given that he's doing well you would just say try and try and get a good price for him whether Sparta Prague have the money or not I don't know but you'd think that he's he's turning heads um, elsewhere across the continent and where he's so far down the pecking order at United if you, it's just logical to cash in they've I, I don't think it's a cynical thing to say that they've got to look at the academy as more of a cash cow than they have in in recent years I mean ev- even in 2016 this is this is absolute small fry but they got about six million pounds for Paddy McNair which I thought was really good going because McNair was never ever good enough to play for United he only played for United uh, under Louis van Gaal because he was right-footed and van Gaal was obsessed about having right-footed left-footed centre-backs and United's defence was dreadful and uh, Chris Smalling and Phil Jones would or Johnny Evans they they were so prone to injury that he obviously had to look to the academy and that's why Tyler Blackett got a look in uh, when he should never have had a look in either and McNair was actually a midfielder but Van Gaal made a made a defender out of him and in his first couple of games he did pretty well and uh, the, the exposure that he had at United turned him from, I don't know, someone who was probably slated to be released at the end of the 2014-15 season, someone who they got five or six million pounds for. Uh, what about? I think it was a, just over a year after he, he'd signed a contract uh, with United. So they've they've got to do that more often now. And there are there are certainly more senior candidates that they could get money for in the summer. I have no idea at this stage the, the certainty, but Henderson, McTominay, Elanga, they are three players who you could all see uh, being sold, uh, whatever the circumstances, in, in the summer. And there's there's money to be made there and, and to be reinvested into the squad. So that's the, the, the balls in United's court there. Uh, but they can't, I think, I think Dishon Bernard, when he last went out on, not last went out on loan, but when he went on loan to uh, to Hull last season, he got a, a new contract. And I think it's quite a long deal as well. And he's a 22-year-old. There has to come a point where you 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 get money in for these players and you stop keep, stop keep on kicking the can down the road. And in the case of Bernard, I think he was injured earlier in the season. That's why his... Um, his development plateaued and why he had to drop down a league to go to Portsmouth on loan. But you've got to strike while the iron is hot. And the iron wasn't particularly hot with McNair, but he'd been present enough in that squad under Van Gaal that they were able to get money from Sunderland. And they've got to do that with other players as well. And look, Kovar's, it's, it's difficult as a goalkeeper coming through the United Academy to go out there and have a really good career because it's, it's, diff, it's almost impossible to become the United number one as an academy player. But he's gone back to the Czech Republic and he's getting the exposure that not many might have expected him to get. And now it's time to, as I say, strike while the iron is hot. Look at Henderson. He His his development was on an upward curve. He went back to United and that's when um, uh, the, the, the line's starting to flatten.
Absolutely. And and talking of loanees and, and of Sunderland, just got to mention there, a big weekend for Ahmad Championship playoff. Uh, first thing against Luton on Saturday. Second leg on, on Tuesday. Um, potential Wembley final to come. Uh, another big stage for him. He's he's had a brilliant season there. He's really benefited from, from Tony Mowbray. You wonder if that Mowbray replacing Alex Neal might turn out to be uh, a big moment in, in Ahmad's career and maybe his United journey because I think he's He's probably the one manager at championship level that, that big clubs want to send their loan players to. He's he's so good at, at managing them and, and getting the best out of them. And, and Ahmad has been getting better and better. The goal he scored at Preston last weekend was was magnificent. He just made it look so easy. He's he's obviously someone United are going to take a look at in, in pre-season on the tour of America. It feels now that he's at the stage where he, he almost needs to be part of the first team squad next season. If he's not in the United squad next season, he needs to be loans to a Premier League club, and then at the end of that, you make a you make a decision. You, it's either he is he he's good enough to be in our Premier League squad, or he's sold, uh, because that will have been what four years down the line from from when they signed him. But I just think it's logical now, given that he's he's well and truly cut it in the Championship as Sunderland's top scorer and. Uh, he's he's been a pretty good goal scorer and he's also a scorer of great goals. Where they've not got another left footer in attack other than Anthony, there is still issues with the balance when or, or when Anthony's unavailable because it's a right footer going in there and United clearly do not want to play that way. They they want a right footer on the left, a left footer on the right. And if you've got Anthony and Ahmad, although they're not I mean, they're, they're not world-class players. They're nowhere near the level of the left-footers in City squad, for instance. But it's a decent base to work from. And they've got time on their side. They can be developed. They can get better. Um, they, I mean, Anthony and Ahmad, how much? United invested over £100 million in both of them. Uh, Ahmad was not a drop in the ocean at £37 million. Uh, I think it was initially £19 million rising to £37 million. But... As I said before, I was I was told that if he was given a run of ten games, he could show what he was capable of. He didn't have that at Rangers. That loan didn't go well last season. He has had that at Sunderland, and when he did hit that ten game mark, he'd scored four or five goals, I think, by that point already. So that prediction has come off as far as United are concerned. Now there needs to be trust shown from Ten Hag in him, and really, when you look in the squad. A striker's a priority, then it's a midfielder, they're in for a goalkeeper, they're, they've been holding discussions with Jeremy Frimpong, the Bayer Leverkusen's right back, uh, and if Maguire goes, they're going to need a centre-back as well. So for the first time, what feels like a long time, United are not going into a transfer window with a pressing need for a right winger. So logically, given that you've got a talent there who's only 20, who they've invested quite a lot of money in and has done very well at a big club where there are big expectations who are still pushing for promotion uh, through the playoffs, as you said. It's logical to just use him as the, the the guy to come in. And if he doesn't, if he's not quite up to it next season, then you make a, you make a decision in January or, or the following summer as to whether he goes out on loan and has more fulfilling playing time or or he's sold you know I, I don't I think United can be quite relaxed about that but logically it just makes sense to eliminate a problem there you bring him in and you've got two left-footed right wingers for next season and they do need to refine their attack because 
you just look at the lack of goals this season and it's they're on 49 in the Premier League at the moment which is the number they ended um on in in Louis van Gaal's second season where the, the football was just so so stultifying between Juan Mata scoring a penalty against Wolfsburg in late September to Jesse Lingard's header against Stoke in in early February there was not a goal scored at the scoreboard end which is the end United uh, traditionally attacking in the first half of games and there was this mad sequence I think of of 12 12 home games running and the scoreline at half time in every in all but one was nil nil and the other one was nil one to Norwich so uh United need to be in a better place next season than they are currently with with their attack because certain players their numbers are up other players they have the potential I think having Garnacho and Ahmad as the two backups to come on in games for Rashford or Anthony is a pretty good way of going about it because both of them have high ceilings. Garnacho has had a really good season. Ahmad has had a really good season, albeit at a lower level. But they they've shown that they can they can you know be be quite destructive players, especially um, th- th- with their their playing styles as well. They're very direct. They're very quick. Uh, Ahmad's good for a goal. Garnacho scored a few decent goals this season. If you then supplement the attack with a striker, which however they do it, whoever it is, they are going to get a striker this this summer. And if you've got a midfielder as well who is is more dynamic, is more durable than Ericsson, and can certainly ease the creative burden on Fernandez, who is just indefatigable. It's it's remarkable how many games he's played this season. His performance level as well. Uh, I think it's it's arguably been his best season in terms of performances. Then you you've got a better you're in a better place than this season where there are just too many flaky players. Uh, Sancho, Martial. Then you've got just a body in Veghorst who his, his two goals have literally been tap-ins with the goalkeeper line on the ground. So they need to get into that point where. And, and I'm sure they have been anyway, because as I said, as, as I wrote earlier this week, in terms of pre- preparing for Ahmad to come back to the squad, he, he's got a cup final suit um, in, in his in, in his measurements because United want him to feel involved coming back into the squad, being part of that day. He's obviously not going to play any part, but they want him to be present. And I suppose that's the start of his reintegration into the squad. And he, he will be able to do that whether or not Sunderland gets the playoff final. So I don't think I don't think it's just idealism saying yeah bring him back into the squad and and use him to be uh, Anthony's competitor. I just think it's a logical thing to do. I think it's it would be the realistic um, thing to do as well. But I suppose the, um, the 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 cautionary tale is James Garner, who was brilliant last season for Forest, and I think everybody expected him to be in the United squad this season. But in the end, because he was one of the, the, the one real sellable asset in that squad as he hadn't played for United in their dismal season last season in the end they decided he had to be sold to um you know to, for, for, as as part of uh the, the cost cutting measurements really and I, I know it sounds strange because they spent so much on Anthony and, and Casemiro in in August but with the profitability and the sustainability rules they have to get players out every now and then and, and unfortunately for Garner he was he was elected as that, that sellable asset That is all for part two of the Manchester Israel podcast we'll be back after the break for a little brief talk of the takeover and a look ahead to the Wolves game
Welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast. Samuel, I think it's now 172 days since the Glazers said they were conducting a strategic review of uh, of Manchester United, or in other words, looking to sell the club or, or seek investment. Uh, we're still not at a position where we know who exactly is is going to own the club or, or which direction they're, they're going to go in, which, which seems incredible, really. I mean, I've written previously that a source close to the Glazers had said back in November that they thought it would come down to, to Qatar and Ratcliffe. Ratcliffe had spoken to them already. There's been Qatar interest in United for at least a decade. They're in a position they expected to be in. We still don't know what's going to happen. It's getting very close now to the point where it's it, arguably interfering with the transfer window. I mean, it might not change the budget much, but I'm sure whoever owned the club, it would have an effect on, on what could be spent, even on wages and, and things like that. I mean, there is... There is no good reason, really, that that it's being dragged on now. It's it's just turned into a charade, basically, hasn't it? That's been orchestrated by by the Glazers and and Rain. I, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. And certainly, when when we asked Ten Hag about the situation last week, he, he admitted that he, he was still a little bit in the dark as to the funds that would be available for this summer, which is not a good position to be in when the transfer window opens in about a month's time. I've somewhat fortunately for me I after the FA Cup final I'm I'm off for two weeks and already that feels like the slot where there will be an announcement or there'll be some clarification uh regarding the ownership of United we we were looking uh, this week where it's where it's obviously a dead week with no midweek match that well there's bound to be some takeover uh, chatter coming coming up and there hasn't been anything concrete. There have obviously been some stories from certain outlets, but it's not it's not changed anything in, in essence in that the Glazers are still the owners of United. They've not communicated whether they've accepted Sir Jim Ratcliffe's offer or the offer from Sheikh Hassim. And I, I suspect this will rumble on for the, the final weeks of the season, which... Uh, puts United supporters in a similar situation to 2005 in that the season ended with the AFA Cup final and the club were about to be taken over by the Glazers. Maybe in this case, they're going to an FA Cup final and the club, the Glazers' occupation is, is about to end. But we've we've discussed it before and I wrote about it in, in early February and it's it's been apparent as well that, that the, the two brothers, uh, Joel and Avram, whose, whose names are in the programme as co-chairman, they are reluctant sellers. And... It would certainly account for the, the, the time this is taking for them, and it, as you said, it has been a charade with these, uh, you know, the third round of bidding and missed deadline, as if it's this auction. And and in some ways, it is really. And uh, I think the the two really interesting stories over the whole during the whole process were the first were both from Mark Kleinman, the the Sky News business editor, and the first one was obviously that. This there was going to be an announcement that the Glazers were certainly open to selling United, and the second one uh, I think it came out last week was about this um, this buyout clause that Ratcliffe had inserted that meant that he that the Glazers would be gone by twenty twenty six, which is is a pretty if it's I I I don't doubt the the veracity of it, but it's an original way of going about placating a couple of brothers who might still want their dividends or might still want to be invested in United for a few more years and then they've no choice but to go and at that point they've had 20-21 years of 
siphoning off the club and yeah surely surely time's up at that point and and Ratcliffe it's it's it seems like it's from his perspective quite a smart compromise and that the, the the prospect of Ratcliffe taking over United and not being the main man always seemed quite fanciful because whatever his business ventures have been he's always been front and center of it in in sport he's he's been the the, the man championing uh, Ben Ainsley and, and the America's Cup he's uh, the, the the one who's you know been on the podium with with Lewis Hamilton for F1 events because obviously he's got a friendship with Hamilton and and of course he's you know, been around the pitch at Nice etc etc so it's it, it always as I said it always seemed remote that he would not want to be the main man and that there's an element of the the self publicist about him as well he he would have known when he visited Old Trafford and then when he actually walked onto the forecourt overlooking um, in between the Trinity statue and the Smack Busby statue that there would be photographers there and he wasn't shy of um, seeing them and of course you've got the big neon side Manchester United behind you you've got Smack Busby behind you you've got a photographer in front of you the background couldn't be can be better really and of course it's it was the money shot from those those meetings with Sheikh Hassim there are seemingly only two verifiable pictures of him and you know people look there's there's clearly a split uh, among the United fan base pri- primarily online United fans who've never been to Manchester who are mostly invested in transfers and are not necessarily supporters who um, have have invested a lot of their own money into the club in terms of going to games or going to the mega store or or what have you they they favor qatar because it's it's the shallow it's it's the shallow choice uh, in in my opinion with ratcliffe although there are cons with him and there are certainly um issues there i mean he says that he's a lifelong united fan yet he had a season ticket at chelsea i don't think it would have a man with his billions it wouldn't have been too difficult for him to buy a season ticket at united and to get a helicopter up to manchester every other week and um you know so so people are gonna have a take a dim view of that and i'm sure if he is to become united's owner there'll, there'll have to be a point where he 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 communicates with supporters and that might be a question that's asked of him because they want to know what his what his true intentions are and, and they will want reassurance. They'll want reassurance from whoever the owner is. Uh, so it, it just, you know, it keeps going on and on and on. It's like United with their goalkeepers kicking the can down the road and that's what the Clays seem to be doing uh, with, uh, with, with the Qataris and with Ratcliffe. But it's... You know, Previously, when I was trying to, you know, when I was speaking uh, to people close to to Ratcliffe, there was there was some guidance. Uh, recently, there's there's been radio silence, so yeah, people can read into that what they will. Yeah, and you know, the, I mean, Ratcliffe has arguably been shrewd in a way. If he thinks cutting the glazes in, in in some senses is going to get him ownership, but the idea that he would also pay however many billion for United and and leave Joel and Avram with any meaningful say, like you say, I think is is pretty unlikely if, if Ratcliffe buys the club even if there's a Glazer shareholding in the background I think it's pretty clear it will be Ratcliffe club and 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 Ratcliffe's yeah. decisions um yeah and you, you, know, with, you mentioned sorry with uh, that, that that is also particularly um relevant because although Joel Glazer is this this absentee landlord effectively who's not stepped foot into Manchester for four years you speak to 
people, well-placed sources, and they say he is involved on a daily basis uh, with with the run of the club. He certainly was with Woodward. He he must he must have daily dialogue with Richard Arnold as well. United are operating subtly but also very differently under Arnold from Woodward, and for the better as well. I think I think Arnold has overseen that um, that strategy in a much more um, what's the word he's he's not trying to spin as many plates as Woodward was and Woodward should have taken a step back from certain matters Arnold I mean he came out with the pub talk in in Cheshire uh, last last year he said you're the football director you're the manager you go and get your players he's the chief exec he, he just wants to sign it off whereas Woodward of course it was flying off to Spain to try and sign Neymar. It was um, you know, meeting Mourinho in 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 a hotel in in London. He, it was it was leaving, it was leaving Australia on urgent transfer business to sign Cesc Fabregas, and obviously never signed Cesc Fabregas. So uh, even some of the real low lights, it's easy to forget because there were so many. So uh, that that would be that would be an important difference um, in that although the Glazers, although there's this poss- possibility of them or a couple of the siblings still staying on and still their names being on the board of directors, you would imagine that Ratcliffe would be the one delegating uh, to to the power brokers at Old Trafford as to what's the best way forward. Absolutely. There is a game this weekend, of course. We've touched on it already, but Wolves at Old Trafford. Um, a, a Saturday 3pm for United, two Saturday 3pms in a row now. Um, I, I mean, what are you expecting from, from Wolves? We've already said that these fixtures have a history of being oh, boring, basically. Um, <laughs> the easiest way of putting it. Um, and I, I guess we're probably getting down that route again. I mean, would you make... Well, obviously, we're, we're recording this before Eric Ten Hag's press conference, so we've not had his updates on team news or, or anything like that. But in terms of the, the team selection, what sort of team would you would you go for and, and what are you expecting from the game? I'm I'm probably expecting another tight United home win uh, that that doesn't nec- that shouldn't be tight. Uh, I, I, I would be more than happy to be proven wrong that. As I said, I think we've we've even games where they've won it's you've come away from it thinking that was a missed opportunity they i mean the everton game the the amount of chances they had in that first half and they 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 should have should have made lighter work of it but but they don't and wolves are just not that type of team and i think united are pretty much in terms of winning well or winning comfortably they are dependent on wolves's mentality and that do wolves go into this game with you know the the mindset of we're playing Man United. We want to show what we can do. Uh, we want to, you know, continue uh, having a, a, a decent end to the season. I mean, it was only two weeks ago they were absolutely pummeled six 0 at Brighton, but they recovered from that quite impressively to beat to beat Villa at home last week. And uh, Lopetegui said it's it's one of his biggest achievements staying up as well, which I think is a bit of a stretch for a guy who's managed Real Madrid and the Spain national team and, and actually won the Europa League with. With Sevilla as well, but it's it's been cutthroat stuff down at the bottom of the Premier League this season, and Wolves, by and large, they have underachieved. But you, but you still, I think people at the start of the season, 
I think James Robson was saying to us because his his father's a Wolves fan. He was he and he was worried about Wolves, and you know he, he wasn't his his uh, reservations weren't entirely misplaced there. But you still look at Wolves' team, and there's I mean there's still such a big Portuguese contingent, and they're not quite as um, imposing a team as they were under Nuno Espirito Santo. Uh, but they have still got good players and. I suppose someone like Ruben Neves, he's possibly looking at the fixture and thinking, well, if I if I turn up, then maybe who's to say I, I won't get a, that inevitable or, or that much-awaited um, big big move in the summer. It was interesting what Declan Rice said to, to talk sport after um, getting man the match against United last week. How he wanted to essentially wanted to impress United, and he. He effectively handed in a transfer request at West Ham at the World Cup and he said he wants to play in the Champions League and reach the top and he's not going to do that at West Ham. So there were still players of that mindset, it's as cliched as it sounds, but I, I I do expect United to win. They've got they've had the midweek break. They have had two bad results last week that mean they absolutely have to win this game. And they can open a bit of breathe, open up a bit of breathing space uh, against Liverpool, especially as Liverpool play on the Monday night as well. So it does put a little bit of pressure on Liverpool, and Liverpool are going to Leicester, who absolutely need the points. I think it was one of the probably the best result United have had over the last week or so was that Leicester got thrashed by uh, by, by Fulham five uh, three, which I don't think that scoreline was necessarily uh, reflective of Fulham's dominance and. That means that this is such a huge game for Leicester that Leicester have got to really be at it against Liverpool. And you saw what James Madison said about them as well. So it's interesting times at Leicester, and it's 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 really do or die for them. So they can't take you know they can't take their eye off the ball whatsoever in that game against Liverpool. But if United don't win this game, then you'd be tempted to install Liverpool as favourites to to get top four ahead of them because if United can't be can't beat Wolves at home then there are going to be question marks over whether they can win uh, their remaining three games. So it's you know it's, it's a test of... There are character defects in this United squad. Everybody is aware of them. But how, 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 yeah, how, how deep these character defects go, I think we'll only know that over the next few weeks. Absolutely. And that's not the only big game involving a, a United team this weekend. Uh, another trip to Wembley for, for Manchester United, the women's team in the FA Cup final against Chelsea on Sunday. Uh, same two teams going for the league title as well. United top of the WSL at the moment. Chelsea with two games in hand, I think it is. Uh, Chelsea have got the brilliant Sam Kerr as well, who has won the Football Writers Women's Footballer of the Year this morning. Uh, some guy called Harland edged the men's award. Um, Samuel, I mean, we'll touch on it. The the women's team are, are having a, a fantastic season, aren't they? And feels like Chelsea are are coming for them where the the league title is concerned. But the fact that they're they're in the FA Cup final against Chelsea, they're going toe to toe with Chelsea for the league title. And we've seen how Chelsea reached in the, the semi-finals of the, the Champions League. I think they lost to Barcelona in the semi-finals of the Champions League. It, it suggests that the, the the women's side of things at United is is going in the right direction and their, their certainty is to at least be in the Champions League next season. Which is, is good news in terms of Alicia Russo's uh, situation where they're trying to get her tied down on a new contract and she's 
she's the main woman in that that team in terms of goal scoring. She she's she's the starting striker, uh, but it's impressive the way they've gone about it. It's I mean the, the the women's team only started what was it five years ago, wasn't it? And um, it, that that announcement came, and the first season was was twenty eighteen nineteen. They got promoted, and in that time they've had to change manager. Casey Stoney stepped down after three years, and th- there were certainly issues with the facilities at the club and. Um, they've they've recruited really well as well. I mean, there was some, still some ever presence that was signed in that first summer. I think Millie Turner, Katie Zellum, I think pretty sure Ella Toon as well moved across at that point. They've flirted with the odd superstar signings with the the, the two American editions a, a few years ago, but that was that seemed more experimental. And they're they're contributing immensely to women's football in this country. I mean, Ella Toon's goal in the the, the women's uh, Euros final last last season was one of the highlights, and so was Alicia Russo's back heel at Bramall Lane, I think it was, in, in one of the earlier rounds. So uh, they've 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 done United proud there, um, and the, the commitment to the women's team can be seen at Carrington at the moment. There's there's a lot of building work going on at Carrington. So much so the car park is out of bounds today and we're, we're going to be uh, ferried up on, on a minibus. So I'm looking forward to seeing who, who the driver is. Maybe it'll be uh, John Murter or, or one of the, the the reserves who aren't getting as much playing time. It would be interesting to see who the uh, designated Carrington bus driver is. Well, I mean, that's probably the, the most use you can get out of Phil Jones these these days if if indeed he's, he's, he's still a visitor at Carrington. Um, but there's, there's building works going on there in front of the Academy building which is due to be uh, a building reserved for the women's team as well which is is overdue uh they, you know they 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 need that and uh it's it's only right that united i mean there's a lot of commitment to invest and and to improve carrington and it's it's not quite as run down as as we all thought uh we you know some of us have had a, a you know peek behind the curtain this season and it's it's actually more impressive than we all thought but it's it's good to see, even though it comes at the the cost of a car parking space. It is good to see that they are actually investing in in the long term future of of the men's team and the women's team. Definitely, uh, that is all for today's Manchester is Red podcast. Samuel, thank you, thank you for being here. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been a podcast. And thanks for your time. Thank you for being here, Ty. As well, yeah, exactly. I, I'm sorry I didn't get let you get a word in edgeways, but I'm sure these are. These two handers on t- these these in person two handers on tour will be a lot more conversational. Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube page now for more content. We've got bonus press conferences after bonus podcasts. Sorry, after press conferences available on all the um, the podcast platforms as well. Um, and we'll be back with the next episode of the Manchester's Red podcast on Monday. Mm-hmm.